Morning, church. If you, as we continue to worship, would take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. For those of you that are visiting with us this morning, those of you that are worshiping from home this morning, we continue in a series through the Gospel of Mark. We come now to Mark, chapter 13. As we think about the end of the world as we know it, the end of the world as we know it, Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 is the most sustained portion of Scripture in Mark's gospel of a teaching of Jesus. It contains not only a prediction in verses 2 through 23 of the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in AD 70, but it also contains a prediction of the second coming of Christ, a day that we do not know. And so in these two predictions, an immediate and an ultimate prediction, we are reminded of his comfort to us that he provides in and through his word. You, about a decade ago, were driving into Memphis, and you came down, uh, I guess at that time it was 78, now it's I-22. Right before you got into Memphis proper, you would have seen this billboard. It's a billboard that was put up by a ministry called Family Radio, the founder of the ministry is a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping. And so the prediction is pretty clear. You see it here, Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. Notice in the yellow, the Bible guarantees it. Uh, Family Radio and its followers, uh, literally, the followers sold homes and possessions, pulled their money together so that 1,200 of these billboards could be put up nationally. 2,000 of these billboards were put up internationally. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent to be able to proclaim that the day of Jesus' second coming would be May the 21st of 2011. The day came, the day went, and Jesus did not come back. Not to be deterred, Camping uh, said, actually, my calculations were a little bit off. He's actually coming back six months later, and so there was another prediction in October, and again, he did not come back. The, the New Yorker magazine interviewed Harold Camping about the way that he got this calculation, the precise date, and these were his words. Uh, it, it is a mathematical calculation that would probably crash Google's computers, he said. It involves, among many other things, the dates of the floods in the Bible, the signals of numbers in the Bible, multiplication, addition, and subtraction thereof. Uh, thousands of followers were destitute and left disillusioned by the failure of this prediction coming to pass. It's not a new prediction, though. And what I mean by that is, is for thousands of years, there has been an a emphasis upon the second coming of Christ and the specificity of actually uh, claiming a date and uh, insider knowledge of a date. There was a group of people called the Millerites, the founder of that movement was a man by the name of William Miller, and he, he gathered together followers. They went up on top of a mountain, and he proclaimed to the followers, March the 21st, 1844, Jesus is coming back. They went up to the mountain. He did not come back. Again, thousands of followers were left destitute and disillusioned. There is an audience for, for end-time speculation. Think about the, the popular fictional set of books called the Left Behind series. For those of you that need some indication of what that is, uh, it's, it's a book that was written, books that were written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. There's a very specific interpretation of the second coming of Christ and the events around it. Do you know how many books, copies of these books have been sold? 80 million copies. 
To give you some precedent of what that means, The Hunger Games and Katniss Everdeen, her, her books, uh, that, that was 65 million. So 80 million, 65 million. I mean, there is an audience for end times speculation. So what do we do with these types of predictions? What does Jesus tell us about the prediction of his second coming? Well, here in Mark chapter 13, in verses 24 through 37, there is a clear clarion call for all of us as followers of Jesus to heed and to hear in regard to the coming uh, of of Jesus and his second coming. Uh, Read with me in verse 24. But in those days... In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be fallen from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds of great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Verse 28, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, verse 30 is referencing back to verses 2 through 23, which was the imminent destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Then, verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, talking about the second coming of Christ, verse 32, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Well, what are we to do? Be on guard, verse 33, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man goes on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you, what? Asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. From Mark chapter 13, I want you to see two truths about the second coming of Christ that we know for certain And one thing that we don't know, let's start with what we don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Can I say that again? We do not know when Jesus is coming back. Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Luke in his sequel to his gospel, the gospel of Luke. He's writing the Acts of the Apostles. He comes right before Jesus ascends into heaven, and these are the words of Jesus, verses 6 through 7 of Acts 1. So when they had come together, the followers of Jesus, those early disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time, right now, Jesus, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Authority. These sections of Scripture, Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, Mark's Gospel, there's a corollary passage in Matthew's Gospel, and also in Luke's Gospel here, that say the same thing that Mark is saying in this passage right here. It explicitly forbids Christians from claiming the knowledge of dates and times of the second coming of Christ. Jesus says you don't have to worry with that. You, you don't have to worry about trying to predict the date and the time of when I am coming back. It is an act of incredible 
human presumptuousness to claim to know the dates and the times of his second coming when Jesus himself says, angelic ambassadors don't know that. I do not know that in my earthly ministry. Now, listen, we got to take a little aside here. There's a lot of asides we can take in Mark chapter 13. But, but you're walking through Mark chapter 13, you're reading this passage, and you say, what? How does Jesus not, Jesus is fully God, how does he not know the time of his second coming? How does he not uh, know when he is coming back here? And here's, here's the wonder of the incarnation. That Jesus, the, the divine son of God, comes to this earth and is born of a peasant by the name of Mary. He is fully human. He's a Jewish carpenter fully. And what does scripture tell us? He has to grow in wisdom and in knowledge. He doesn't come pre-programmed. He has to learn to talk. He has to learn the Old Testament scriptures, his scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. He grew, Luke tells us. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. So he, being Jesus, took upon himself earthly limitations. The greatest of those earthly limitations was what? Death itself. The second person, the divine son of God, died. He died because he took upon himself human limitations, finitude itself. To die itself, he takes upon. So what we discover is the fullness of Jesus in his humanity while on earth meant that there were things that he did not know in his earthly ministry. And one of those, while he was on earth, was his very return. So why then, with this passage being so clear, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, being so clear, why, why then are there so much end times enthusiasm that spends so much time connecting the dots? This is happening here, this is happening here, this is happening here. It's got to be this point. Why so much enthusiasm for predictions? Well, I think, and I think you would know this, that there's always a preoccupation with insider information. That there's always sort of a hunger to know what someone else doesn't know, to be inside of some information that only you know and a select other few know, and that always draws a crowd. It always draws the television channels to flip to it. It always will sell books. This past week, I've, I've had so many conversations about the fate of SEC football. I mean, it's just on the tip of everyone's tongue. Everywhere I'm going, everybody's talking about what's going to happen, what's going to happen. This conference has done this, this conference has done this, what's going to happen. And, and I tell you, you go around, and especially in the Metro Birmingham area, somebody is going to say something like this. Hey, look, hey, hey, hey come, come, come here, come here, come here. I've got a friend. i got a friend who works some, with someone who is the brother-in-law to Nick Saban's third cousin, and, and I heard, I heard, I heard this about this, and we all, we all want to be in the know. We all want to have just this little bit of insider information. We got a lot of moms and dads that are here this morning. We got small kids here. It's so encouraging to see that uh, here this morning, and, and you know this, mom. You know this, dad. When I need to tell Danielle something that only Danielle needs to hear, 
my boys become like Superman with supersonic hearing. If they don't need to hear what I'm telling their mom, they will intuitively hear it and want to hear it. If, if I'm telling them something, they oftentimes don't hear me. But if I'm not talking to them, they can. So in the back of the vehicle, when I'm telling Danielle something and it's just me and her talking, I'll have one of my boys that will you know, rise up and say, Dad, Dad, what, what were you talking about? We're, we're, in the, we're in the living room, and it's just me and Danielle, and we're having a conversation. The boys are around, and they're doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, I'll hear one of them say, hey, Dad, Dad, what are y'all talking about in there? And so oftentimes, I lovingly say to my children, this is a need-to-know conversation, and you do not need to know what we're talking about. God, in his sovereign plan, has taken the time and the date of the second coming of his son, and it is a need-to-know conversation. And guess what? You don't need to know the time and the date. You don't need to know all the details, but this you need to know. This you need to know that Jesus is coming back. This is certain. His return is a return that is certain. It is fixed. Oftentimes when we think of the second coming of Christ, it, it makes us feel a little nervous. We all, often feel that, hey, this is kind of a scary conversation to have here. And we even read the words of verse 24 of Mark 13, and we read words like tribulation, sun being darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. We know that Jesus isn't talking about the fall of Jerusalem right here. The conversation goes back and forth of AD 70 and then this, this end of the world as we know it before us. But we know in this moment, he is not talking about something that is immediate. He is talking that something that, that is ultimate, that is cataclysmic in scope. And for most of us, we read these passages and you know what we think? We say, this is a roller coaster that we just would prefer not to ride. And I think we misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He is drawing in verse 24 and beyond. He's drawn upon Old Testament language to speak to Mark's original listeners who thought what about the sun? Thought what about the stars? Well, what they thought still kind of carries over today. But what they thought was, hey, listen, the sun, the stars, these are heavenly powers that influence all of human affairs. And it carries over. If any time somebody's reading a daily horoscope and saying, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, it's sort of a carryover of that kind of thought of looking up to the stars and allowing it to, to guide what you're going to do in the moment here. And what Jesus is saying is that my second coming, all the powers, real or imagined, will bow down before me. That all of the elements of creation will give way when I, when I rend the heavens and enter into human history in my second coming. All will bow down because I am the sovereign Lord who is coming back again. Now he's coming back. Do you notice in verse 26, the description, son of man. Now, this, this is a title that Jesus utilizes all throughout the Gospels, but it was a title that absolutely confused the Jewish leaders of the day because they had read Daniel chapter 7. You know what Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says? It says that the Son of Man is coming back, and the Son of Man is going to come as a, a conquering king 
who's going to kick out foreign foes from Israel. He's going to restore Israel to its proper divinic dynasty. And then Jesus shows up, and he is crucified. He can't be the Son of Man. He comes to bring about this spiritual kingdom in his, in his incarnation. He dies upon a cross. He's not bringing this military might like they, they wanted him to do. And what Jesus is saying is, is that the Son of Man that is predicted in Daniel chapter 7, I will come as, not in my first coming, but I will come in, in my second coming. I will come not as a suffering servant. But I will come as a conquering king. I will come as one who is going to end all evil, who is going to right all wrongs. I am coming as the Son of Man. And notice that he comes on the clouds. This isn't a meteorological prediction. This isn't James Spann talking about sort of what it's going to look like on that day. Clouds represented what in the Old Testament? Well, clouds represented the very presence of God. The wandering Israelites in the wilderness are led by a cloud by day. In the tabernacle, the cloud descends upon the very mercy seat as the presence of God. And so Jesus is saying, this temple, you see this temple here? It's going to be gone. Well, for a lot of those Israelites, they're saying, well, the very presence of God would be gone because it resides in the temple. And he's saying, no, I'm the temple. I'm the very presence of God. And when I come back, I am coming back on the clouds representing the very authority of God, and it is an absolute comfort. Why is this comforting? Because where human history is headed, our destination is not a choose-your-own-adventure story that is before all of us with multiple endings depending upon the choices that you make. That's not where we're headed. What the second coming of Christ reminds us of is that God has sovereignly set his destination for all of human history, and it is unaltered by pandemics, it is unaltered by local elections, it is unaltered by national politics. The second coming of Jesus reminds us that there is a divine designer even when we cannot detect the design around us. The second coming of Jesus reminds us that our future is secure even when we're unsure about our tomorrows. The second coming of Christ reminds us that we know where the story is headed even when we don't exactly know what the next page of our story will read like. This is the comfort that the sovereign Lord of Lords will enter into our history and he will bring everything together for our good and his glory as he comes back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This we don't know, the time, the date, don't know all the details. This we do know, he is coming back. And you know what else you know? You know what else I know? We know what we're called to do in the meantime. Scripture is so clear. In Mark chapter 13, there is much that he doesn't tell us. When I preach through, Lord willing, the book of Daniel will flesh out more of the second coming of Christ. When I preach through the book of Revelation, Lord willing, will flesh out more of the details of the second coming of Christ. Mark chapter 13 doesn't tell us everything that we might be curious about in the details of the second coming of Christ. Guess what? The book of Daniel 
and the book of Revelation don't either. But this I know, while Jesus does not tell us, while the Word of God doesn't tell us everything that we might be curious about, He tells us in His sovereign will everything that we need to know about. And what we need to know is what we are called to do until he comes back. Now look with me, five times we have this imagery starting in verse 33 of your call and my call. Anytime scripture repeats things, it is an exclamation point. It is italics. It is, it is scripture's way through the power of the Holy Spirit to put something in, in bold. Jesus is saying, listen Listen, well, listen with what? Verse 33, this imagery of a doorkeeper, he is saying, be on guard, keep awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, stay awake. Verse 37, stay awake. Do you get the point? The master of the house is Jesus. He has lived his perfect life. He has left the house. He's ascended to the right-hand throne of the Father. He's going to come back. He empowers his servants to do his work. We, we have a commissioned authority that has been granted to us, and one of the callings that we have is to stay awake, be alert, be on guard. He is telling you, he is telling me that we're called to steward the gifts that he has given us until he comes back as the master of the house. So what are you called to do? Well, stay awake as you love him. What are you called to do? Stay awake as you worship him. What are you called to do? Be alert. Stay awake as you serve him. What are you called to do? Stay awake. Be alert as you tell others about him. What are you called to do? What am I called to do? We are called to stay awake and live for him. Don't fall asleep. Don't forget that he is coming back. Stay awake. Uh, imagine with me a father, a husband, who has been deployed for nine months on a military tour. He sends out a, a hastily written email to his bride, reads simply, tour finished early, catching a cargo flight back home, see you in two days. Imagine this father. Uh, imagine this husband who arrives on the front door eagerly waiting to see his family, and his family is in utter turmoil because they've spent the last 36 hours arguing, would dad arrive in the afternoon or would dad arrive in the evening? The last 36 hours they've been arguing, what flight is he going to take to get home? For the last 36 hours, they've been some people, even some members of the family, that begin to even doubt the veracity of the email that said, I am coming back. And so instead of this father being greeted by, by little noses pressed up against the windows, longing to see dad come back, instead of being greeted in the threshold of the front door by, by bear hugs from his family, he is greeted by utter chaos and utter turmoil. I, I mean, it's just an illustration. I mean, poke holes at it, no doubt. But there's truth here that I want you to hear. There's truth I want you to hold on. There's so many Christians who spend so much time debating the details about his second coming. There's so many Christians who spend so much time even ignoring the reality of his second coming. And unfortunately, there, there are even Christians who have begun to doubt that he's actually going to come back. Let us press our noses against the window of this earth. Looking out the front door saying, 
Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. There's much that we do not know about the second coming of Christ, but this we do know. My friends, one day Jesus will return, and until then he has called you, he has called me to be faithful, to be faithful in the life that he's entrusted to us, and to live as if this very well might be the day that he comes back. Because you know what? It might be. It might be that glorious day where our Savior knocks upon the front door of our earth and he comes back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to end all evils and to right every wrong. Until then, stay awake. Be alert. And say, Maranatha, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let us pray. So it is, God, that we come to you this morning assured of the return of your son as the victorious king, as the conquering judge, evil, that is all around will meet its ultimate end. The injustice that cries out, that cries out around us will, will be made right. Every wrong, every wrong will be made right. This is sure. It's as sure as the reality of us sitting on pews this very morning embracing the hand of a son or a daughter, it is as sure as the, the air that we breathe that you're coming back. So until then, may you find us faithful. May we not sleep on the responsibility that you've called us to be faithful, to stay alert, to watch, to hope, to long for that day. Until then, Lord Jesus, lead us and guide us to have hope that the circumstances around us do not define the reality that Christ is in us. And whether question marks about so much in our world, this is a divine period, a declarative statement that your son is coming back. Our destination is sure, our hope is steadfast. Until then, may we cling to you. May we be found faithful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.